Jesus, you won a victory that we could never win. Lord, in your life, in your death, in your burial, in your resurrection, which we will celebrate on Sunday, you won that victory so that we could stand here right now and sing the reality that there's a day coming where we will overcome all. That we will stand in your presence and we will be made like Jesus Christ. There's a promise that we will be made new, but it's only available to us because of what you've done, Jesus. And so we thank you for your willingness to come and give it all for us. God, I pray, Lord, for those in this room who don't know you as their personal Savior. I pray as they see the beauty of Jesus Christ, that they would turn to him. God, I pray you would open eyes and give new hearts and change lives. And I pray for us who know Jesus, who are walking with him, who have been rescued by him. I pray that there would be such a deepening of our relationship and our commitment to Jesus and our wanting to walk with Jesus because we see how good you are, Jesus, from the proclamation of your word. So would you do a good thing in here, Lord? Would you do what I cannot do, which is to convict where you want, which is to comfort where you want, which is to encourage where you want, Lord, and transform wherever you want. Whatever you want to do in the heart, God, would you do it as I, Lord, do my very best. I pray you would give me words right now for my brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage their hearts. God, do your thing, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You can take a seat. It's very good uh, to get to be with you. As Pastor Ray said, my wife Kim is here with me. We left our three boys at home. Uh, We didn't want to navigate a four-hour drive with uh, those crazy ones. Um, So they're at home uh, with their aunties. They're our oldest boy. His name's Zion. Our middle guy, his name's River. And our little boy, his name is Eiffel. Everybody had strange names, so we had to give the last one a strange name. And uh, we have our fourth guy, well, hopefully it's a little girl on the way. Um, Yes, but if you've got a Bible, you can open to Isaiah 53. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers are coming up and down uh, the aisle here. And if you put your hand up, they would love to give a Bible to you. So Isaiah 53, when when you get a Bible in your hands. And so... Uh, that's the text we're going to look at today. In Isaiah 53, it's called, the, it's called the Servant's Song. And a long time ago, this passage was being read by the Ethiopian eunuch. When you read in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8, the eunuch, is he's driving home in his chariot, which was the car of the day, and he's reading this passage. And as he reads the passage, he wonders, he's like, who is it talking about? As he is reading it and going along, he, he's asked a question, who is this passage talking about? He asked this question to Philip, who was with him. God had sent Philip, and so Philip is along with the eunuch, and he says, who is he talking about? He says, is Isaiah talking about himself, or is he talking about someone else? So as he's reading the prophecy, he's wondering, like, who is he talking about? And this is a question that many people have asked. Some people They've answered this question saying that Isaiah is actually talking about the people of Israel. And they do that because sometimes when you read Isaiah 53, Israel, or in the book of Isaiah, Israel's called servant. And some people say that it's actually Isaiah that is talking about. Isaiah is talking about himself because sometimes in the book of Isaiah, he is called 
servant. But those answers don't work. Those answers don't work because when you read, you will find that this servant is serving the people of Israel and he's serving Isaiah. And so if the people are not the servant and if Isaiah is not the servant, then who is it? Well, Philip, who is with him, answers the question for him and answers the questions for us. This is not going to be on the screen, but Acts 8, verse 35, it says, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scriptures, he told him the good news about Jesus. Notice I said that he begun with the scriptures. So Philip doesn't open his mouth and gives his opinion. He opens his mouth and says, and he begins with the Bible. He begins with the word of God. And tells him the good news about Jesus Christ. 700 years before it happened, Isaiah predicted that Jesus would come. And the eunuch would not have known this. His eyes wouldn't have been open to the reality of all that Jesus means for us and all that Easter means if Philip was not there with him. If God had not sent Philip, his eyes would not have been open. He would have missed the significance of this passage if God didn't intervene. See, it's like, a, it's like a newborn infant. If their parents don't feed them, they would never eat. They need help. They would never, they would never take that bottle and put it to their mouth themselves. Somebody had to intervene. The parents have to help. See, God did something for the eunuch. He opened his eyes. And the same way God opens the eyes of the eunuch, he opens our eyes. God opens our eyes, and we're going to see that in doing that, we are saved. In opening our eyes, God stops us, stops us from doing one thing we should never do, and shows us two things that we really need to know, and we're going to see that from our text. Look at Isaiah 53, verse 1, it says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Here's our first point. God opens our eyes to stop us from rejecting Jesus. To stop us from rejecting Jesus. Isaiah begins with a question. He says, who has believed what he has heard? Who has believed what he's heard about Jesus? And he does this because in, when Jesus came to earth, not a lot of people believed in him. See, when Isaiah asked this question, when he says, who has believed what he has heard? He's not expecting all kinds of hands to go up. He's not expecting that. There was a large lack of belief in Jesus. Isaiah says Jesus was one from whom men hide their faces. See, on basic observations, when the people saw Jesus, they were not all that impressed with him. They were not like, yo, Jesus, can we get a selfie together? 
They weren't doing that. There was a large lack of belief in Jesus as he grew up like a root out of dry ground. That sounds like a tree that does not have much chance of survival. And he says he has no majesty or beauty that we should desire him. The people saw nothing special about his appearance, his demeanor, his style. Everything about Jesus bothered the people. The way Jesus looked and talked about life. The way Jesus looked and talked about money. The way he talked about loss, fame, marriage, forgiveness. The way he talked about pride. The way Jesus talked about leadership. The way Jesus talked about serving. It bothered the people. Now here's why it bothered them. Because it convicted them. When Jesus spoke, conviction came to people's hearts. That's what bothered them about Jesus Christ. And so they turned away from him. They shunned him. See, instead of being drawn to Jesus, instead of, instead of being pulled towards Jesus, they turned their backs on him. John 12. John 12, verse 37 says, Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Jesus had done all kinds of miracles. He had done all kinds of signs and wonders. And it says that they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? See, Jesus was not the savior they were expecting. When they looked at Jesus again, he was unimpressive to them. John Oswald says, Jesus' splendor is not on the surface. And those who have no inclination to look beyond the surface will never see him, much less pay any attention. They paid no attention to Jesus because they were only looking on the surface. They couldn't see deeper. They couldn't see, they didn't look beyond the, the, the surface level to see the beauty and the power and the humility that was standing in front of them, this willing God-man to come to earth to die and live for us. They couldn't see any of that. See, what verse 2 does is it exposes just how shallow human beings are. It exposes our shallowness. It shows just how much we judge by appearance. We look on appearance and stop there. Isaiah predicts that the people would despise him, that they would esteem him not, it says. Despise, this, this means to consider something to be worthless or unworthy of attention. The word esteemed is actually an accounting term. It's, a, it's to calculate the value and worth of something. When they, when they looked at Jesus, when they calculated his value, when they looked at his style and his life and the way he lived, when they calculated everything, it added up to zero for them. They esteemed him not. That's why when Pilate asked in Matthew 27, what should I do with Jesus? He, he asked this question. He says, Jesus he, this innocent man, he says, what should I do with Jesus? And because they thought Jesus was of no value and no worth to them, do you know what the people yelled? Let him be crucified. They esteemed him not. They saw a zero. See, they dismissed Jesus 
because they didn't think Jesus had any significance for their lives. See, the people in Jesus' day reject, rejected him because he was not the savior they were expecting. The people in our day reject Jesus because we don't think we need a savior. We are very convinced that we can save ourselves. If you're an atheist, you just think that it, it, we die and it all ends. So there's nothing to be saved from. We're very convinced that we can sort it out ourselves. Jesus came to take away the sins of the world, but the people paid no attention to him. John chapter 1 says he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own. Again, Jesus, our creator came to his own. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Jesus was rejected, like Isaiah said, would happen. And that's all that would keep happening if God doesn't step in. There, no one will turn to Jesus if God doesn't go out of his way to do the loving and gracious thing and open our eyes. That's all that would continue to happen if God doesn't do something. But God has stepped in. And you're like, Marv, how do you know? This room. Me standing here. Talking to a whole bunch of people who I don't know all that well, but I know that for those who are in Christ, we share that in common. That is a clear sign that God has stepped in, that our eyes have been opened, that you and I believe and trust and are walking with Jesus Christ. And that is because of God's grace. The thing, one of the things you should walk away with today is you should walk away think, God has shown me Grace, if God does not step in, we would never stop rejecting Jesus Christ. And you're like, wow, I kind of know that already. You're like, you drove four hours from Brampton to come up here and, and tell us something that I already know? Sure, you know it. But the question is, are you humbled by it? Are you sitting there right now and are you humbled by the reality of what Jesus Christ has done for us? Does it take you to a place where you are delighting in Jesus and loving Jesus and as you think about Jesus, you're like, all I want to do is walk with this Savior who gave all for me. I'm completely humbled. All I want to do is tell other people about Jesus so that they can know the Savior of the world. Is it bringing you to a place where you are low? Is it bringing you to a place where you are delighting? Is it bringing you to a place where joy is flowing out of your heart when you look at Jesus Christ? Yes, we know things about the Bible. Yes, the gospel takes root at different times, but are we delighting in the gospel? Are we humbled by what is, we are told in Scripture and what Jesus has done for us. It's one thing to know it, but is it changing the way you are living your life? Is it bringing you to a place of humility? And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, then the thing that you can do is ask God to open your eyes. You can sit there right now and pray in your heart and just say, God, I want this Jesus that's being talked about. I want to know him. Would you open my eyes to this reality and stop me from rejecting the savior of the world? The people rejected 
Jesus, not just because uh, uh, not just because of his appearance, they turned from him because he was a man of sorrows, we're told. Because he was acquainted with grief. But verse 4 tells us that uh, he, the sorrows, they were not his own. The grief, that they were not his own. He knows them well, but they didn't belong to him. And this thanks us to the first thing God wants to show us. God opens our eyes to show us why Jesus was wounded. He stops us from rejecting Jesus and then he shows us why Jesus was wounded. Look at verse four. It says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Jesus here is described as someone who's full of sorrow and grief but because he, he's carrying our sorrows and our grief. See, our sinful pursuit of money, of fame, of comfort and ease, of pleasure, these false idols, these things that promise to bring us joy. Don't bring joy. They may bring fleeting moments of pleasure that go. But so often when we look back, the only thing that they've left us with is regret, disappointment, pain, and grief. Psalm 16, verse 4, such a good psalm to keep in our minds. It says, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. The Bible tells us that when we run after and when we chase these things, when we scurry after these things that are not truly God, that our sorrows will multiply. That our pain and our grief will only increase. See, sin, sin promises so much, yet delivers so little. Promises joy and instead brings pain and regret. Either our sin or the sins of others done to us. Isaiah said that Jesus would come and take all that pain and sorrow from us. He takes all our brokenness caused by sin. He takes all of our shame caused by sin. He takes all of our guilt caused by our sin. All of this, all of these things, he takes upon himself because of his love for us. It says that he carried these things. That word carried is very important. Because that word actually hints at Jesus, his substitution. That he was in our place. This is how much Jesus cares for us. No one in your life can care for you like this. No one in your life can do these things for you. He takes it all. See, instead of leaving us, you got to get this in your mind. We are the ones who turned our backs on God. We are the ones who walked away from God. And instead of leaving us in our grief, in our sin, in our shame, in our pain, instead of leaving us in all of those things, God in his grace and mercy and love and his commitment to his children comes and picks us up to care for us, to deal with the thing that we cannot deal with in sending his son Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't leave us in our grief. He comes from heaven. He leaves us home. 
It says, though he was rich. Rich being that he had everything he needed and wanted in heaven. Though he was rich, it says, for our sake he became poor. So that by his poverty we might become rich. Now a prosperity preacher will tell you that means monetarily. But somebody handling the Bible correctly will tell you that means rich in salvation. Rich in the thing that we need more than anything else for our life to be saved. Jesus gave it all for us. See, if you're here today and again, you're filled with grief and sorrow and pain from your sin. If you're filled with regret, then my word to you is turn to Jesus. Turn to the one who can take it all. Jesus, he literally says, give it all to me. Give all of it to me, he says. I can carry all of it. I can take it all. Let me put it on my shoulder. Let me be, let me be the one for you. Let me do the thing you cannot do, Marv. Give me all of your pain and grief. Turn. So again, if you're not trusting in Christ, we are calling you to turn and trust in Jesus Christ who can take all your pain and all of your sorrow. There are some other important words in the text that we should not miss. The word pierced reminds us of the nails, the nails that went through his hands and feet. The word crushed reminds us that Jesus was abandoned by everyone, that he was falsely accused, that Jesus was beaten, that he was mocked, that he was spat on, that Jesus experienced the full wrath of God on the cross for our sins. And this was a crushing experience for him. The word wounds here, that he was wounded for us, summarizes the pain he experienced in his body. And the pain that he experienced going through all of this by himself. And as he was going through this, the people thought it was because he was a sinner. As Jesus is experiencing this, the people who are, who are pushing him to the cross, the people who are there at the cross, think it's because of his own sin. See, Isaiah said that they would look on him as someone who was smitten by God. They thought God was punishing Jesus. They thought he was being punished for sins, but Jesus committed no sin. Jesus is the only human being who's ever walked the earth and obeyed all of God's commands. He never sinned once. It says that he, in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says that he was tempted as we are. Think about this. Every single temptation that we face, everything that you walk through, it says that Jesus was tempted as we are, yet without sin. There is nothing that you will experience in temptation that Jesus did not experience, but he did not sin. It says that he never sinned once. This was happening to Jesus, Isaiah tells us, for our transgressions. Do you see that there? Verse 5 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. 
he was crushed for our iniquities. Jesus was without sin, but there he was hanging on the cross willingly. Willingly. This isn't some divine child abuse. That's not what's happening here. Jesus was willing to do that for us. He willingly went to the cross, hanging there, being wounded to save us. Coldplay, a band that I really like, they have this song called In My Place. And multiple times when you listen to that song, the lead singer, he just says, in my place, in my place, in my place. That is the phrase that should be going through our minds when we think about Jesus on the cross, that he is there in my place, that he was our substitute. He died in our place to make forgiveness possible so that we could have access to God. Jesus experienced pain so that we could experience peace. You're like, peace with who? Peace with God. Jesus knows the pain. We know the peace. Peace with our heavenly Father so that we could be forgiven for our sins and enter back into a relationship, this relationship that we walked away from. And so God shows us clearly here in these verses that Jesus was wounded for our sins and that these wounds heal us. See that at the end of verse 5 says, Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Now the fact that we needed to be healed should tell us something is wrong with us. That something was wrong with us. And again, you might be sitting there and you're thinking, there's nothing wrong with me. For 25 years of my life, when I was living just any way I wanted to live, when I was on a university campus doing anything I wanted to do, when you would have asked me if something wrong, I'd be like, I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with me. And you might be saying the same thing, but verse 6 tells us otherwise. And whatever God says to me, I want to listen to that. The Bible says that there's something wrong with all of humanity, that we are not fine. Verse 6 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's what's wrong with us. We have turned to our own way. We don't want anyone to tell us what to do. We don't want anyone to call our decisions into question. We don't want anyone to tell us that what we're doing and the way we're living might actually be wrong. That we don't know what we are doing. That we are not fine. We don't want to be told by God that things are not okay. We want to live life on our own terms. We want to do our own thing. This is the condition of humanity. All humanity outside of Jesus Christ. We want to be like Frank Sinatra. And sing loudly. I did it my way. That is what's wrong with us. And we do this 
Because Adam and Eve, our first parents, did this. It's not a new issue. Genesis chapter 3 starts right there. They tried to live independent of God. They wanted to do things on their own. God was like, God put them in this perfect spot. And he's like, trust me. And they're like, no. We are going to trust ourselves. And every human being after that has done the same thing. When you read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, what you will find is multiple people, person after person after person after person, who are convinced that they can figure out life without God. And that they can do things on their own. And this sinful independence runs all the way through the Bible. But what you'll see when you look at those people's lives is not joy. It's a lot of mess. It's a lot of pain. It's a lot of suffering caused by sin. This trusting ourselves. This is what we need to be healed from. And God shows us this. And this is our third and our final point. God opens our eyes to show us why we need healing. To show us why we need healings. Yeah, we are compared here to sheep who go astray, <clears throat> who get lost. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. That phrase, we have gone astray, tells us that actually when we walk away from God, we don't know where we're going. That we are straying. Now, when you are straying, that means you're actually in danger. That's what that tells me. When I look at my life and I start to do things where I'm, I'm doing things that are not the way God wants me to do them, I, I am becoming very aware that I'm going astray and that means I'm in danger, that this might actually get me in some trouble. And when we walk away from God, we live sinful, twisted lives. We take the wrong path when we walk away from God. That word iniquity is actually very important. It literally means to take a crooked path. It says that he has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He has laid on him all of our sin from being on the crooked path. We choose that. You ever hear somebody say sometimes, maybe you're in like a small group or something like that, like, oh, this week I just fell into some sin. No one falls into sin. Sin's not like a pothole, like, oh, didn't see you there. We don't fall into sin. We choose to sin. We deliberately choose crooked path. When we turn from God, it's a deliberate choice. And notice that the word all opens and closes verse 6. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, what Isaiah is trying to say here in his future, in his prophecy, is that all humanity is like this. There's no one who is not this way. And all the mess and the sin in our lives, all of that from being on this crooked path, look where it goes, on Jesus. It says, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And notice that it's God the Father who does this. See, Christianity is not about what you do for God. It's about what God does for you. It's not about earning 
our way into God's favor. All the false religions teach that. That we have to earn our way into the favor of God. Christianity says God looks at us and in his love, he steps out and helps us. It's not what we do for God. It's what he does for us. God the Father, he moves to help us. He takes the initiative to deal with our sin. And on the cross, Jesus pays our debt. Although Jesus has never taken the wrong path. Although he has no iniquity. Although Jesus never turned his back on his father. He hung on the cross as if he did to save us. Because we needed to be forgiven. We needed to be healed of our wounds, of our sinful independence. See, Jesus did what was necessary to make sure that that would happen And the moment we confessed our sin, the moment we asked God to save us, the moment that we turned, you know what happened? Healing started. The moment we turned to God, that healing that we needed started. 1 Peter, 1 Peter 2, verse 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. From what? For you were straying like sheep. You were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. We are healed because we have come back to our Father, that healing Begun because we've gone from living this independent, sinful way to now this dependent, trusting way. He spoke to our hearts and we turned. He called us and begun healing us. And here's what I love about God God doesn't do anything halfway. See, God's not like, you know, that person who starts a whole bunch of novels and never finishes them. Or that person who starts, you know, a job around the house. Maybe you're painting the trim in your house and you get in the living room and then you look at the kitchen you're like, I'm done. God's not like that. When God starts something, he finishes it. That's why the Bible says, he who began a good work in you, love it, will bring it to completion. God doesn't quit. When he starts something, he finishes it. He heals us. It's a complete healing. And here are some of the ways that God heals us. He heals us spiritually. When we turn back to God, he heals us spiritually. He does that by giving us a new heart, right? He removes the heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. That means he gives us a heart that desires him. He gives us a heart that wants to do what he he wants us to do. He gives us a heart that delights in him, loves him, that wants to follow him. So we are given a new heart and we're also given the Holy Spirit in that new heart which gives us the ability to do the things that we want to do. See, as Christians, sometimes we live so defeated, but we've got to remember the Holy Spirit is in us. The reason why the Bible can command us things in the New Testament is because we can do it. As we submit and trust the Holy Spirit to lead us and carry us through, we can do the things the Bible is talking about. So we're healed spiritually, and then we're healed legally. We get complete and full forgiveness. Our broken record is fixed. And then we're healed emotionally. 
We're healed emotionally. And so we don't have to walk around anymore full of anxiety. Why? Because one of the things that Jesus won us in the gospel was access to God. The Bible says that in the moments when I'm feeling anxious, when I'm feeling confused about what am I going to do with my life after I graduate, maybe in university with all this debt, what am I going to do? And what am I going to do to get my marriage right and, and fix that? What am I going to do? The Bible says we have access to God and that we can go to the throne of grace and find help and mercy in a time of need. In Peter, it says that we can cast all of our cares on God. Why? Why can I cast my care on God? Because he cares for me. Because he wants me to give him my burdens. And so I'm emotionally healed. I don't have to be led around anymore by my fears and my anxieties. I can give all of that to God and I can say, you are bigger than me, you are stronger than me, you know better than me, you can see further than me, so you deal with it, God. Emotional healing. And then we're given Physical healing. He promises that one day that we will be like Jesus. It says, this is called the doctrine of glorification. It says that when we see Jesus, we will be made like Jesus. That we will be given a new body. Physical healing is promised to us. Now some people try to teach you that that is possible for everyone right now. And that's not true. Some people may get physical healing now here on earth. But not everyone may get that here on earth. But there is a promise that one day soon at the return of Christ, all of us, all of the ailments, my really bad knees, will be made new. That I will be given a new body. All of this happens because of God. It's all because of God. He is the one who calls Isaiah to write down this prophecy. And then he is the one who sends his son, Jesus Christ, to come to earth and to fulfill this prophecy. And then he is the one who opens your eyes to see all of this and turn to Jesus to see that he paid it all, to see the beauty of Jesus so that we would stop rejecting our Savior so that we would see that he was wounded for us and to show us that Jesus is the one, the only one who can truly heal us and change us. Jesus paid it all. And God makes all of this possible. And we should never stop being thankful as God has opened our eyes to this. Never stop being thankful for what he has done, and something that helps us to be thankful, to always, to continually be thankful to God. A great reminder of all that Jesus Christ has done for us is communion. And we're going to take communion today, and Pastor Ray is going to lead us through that. And as he comes, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who, Lord, has paid it all for us, and God, as we stop to reflect and take communion here, Lord, I pray that there would be such a thankfulness in our heart for, for your son who willingly, who willingly came for us, 
who did not leave us in our sin and in our sorrow, but gave all, willingly gave all up so that we could have much, so that we could have a restored relationship with you. God, thank you for your love and your commitment to us that you didn't abandon us when we walked away from you. But Lord, you turned and pursued us because you are a good father. God, help us to see how good you are. Help us to reflect and delight in Jesus Christ and celebrate, Lord, by his goodness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.